Well, we're going to get to preaching here in just a few moments, but I just have a few things I need to uh, do first. Okay, this is a hymnal. <laughs> this is a, inside of it, inside of it are songs. Mike had no idea what he was doing this morning. He says, says we're singing what? Hey, thank you, Debbie, for selecting those songs for Mike. They were and are some of my absolute favorites. Um, time does go very quickly. There is no doubt about that. I did 26 years in the Navy, retired, became a pastor. I've been a pastor for 24 years, and 20 of it has been here. Uh, March of 2001, Debbie and I, having left service at the previous church, went looking for a place to worship and saw a little styrofoam sign, probably in your front yard as we were driving through Waterford, John and Lori Malloy, and said that there is a church service at the Avalon Park, I mean at uh, the Blanchard Park YMCA. And we went and joined those 35 people, and it has just been an extraordinary journey ever since. 20 incredible, incredible years. Uh, you, you saw John and Lori on the video. You saw Vic and Shelly on the video. And you see me and, well, you see me. And you know Debbie's out there. Okay. Um, that's, the, that's the six that were in that aerobics room and have continued on all those years. And it's been a, been a joy and a pleasure to serve along, alongside of you. Flowers for Debbie, which is absolutely and totally appropriate. Uh, I text some guys on a Monday, every Monday morning. They're just kind of my, my little band of guys. And I texted them this last Sunday and said, you have no idea when you're making decisions in the present what is hanging in the balance. The present looks incredibly hard or overwhelming or it seems to have a particular direction of its very own that would demand or at least justify a decision that's made right now. But 36, 30 some years, no, 49 do the math. Okay, 42 years ago, when my wife chose to remain faithful to me when I had not been to her, when my wife chose to remain faithful to Jesus who promised to do and be her everything, she had no idea what hung in the balance. And if Debbie had not made those decisions 42 years ago, there would be no Pastor Jim. There would be no retirement today. There would have been no Journey Ministries. There would have been no hundreds and hundreds of sessions of counseling. She knew what hung in the balance. Well, she didn't know what hung in the balance, but she knew to be faithful. And I thank you for the flowers that acknowledge that faithfulness. I want to welcome you who are watching online, even, you know, way up there in New Jersey. I see, you know, Vicky's, Vicky Kumpel is there, and uh, Hamilton's probably joining us from uh, Africa. We've got a number of folks that have just been very active in the online community, and it just brings me great, great joy. And so greetings to you, but especially to my family, to Debbie and to my daughter, Danielle, and Jason, and to my son, Mike, and his girlfriend, Nayla, who are watching. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for all you've done. Hey, let me clarify something about retirement. Okay, um, I, am, I am retiring from long-running routines. I am retiring from organizational responsibilities. 
But please understand, as a believer in Jesus Christ, none of us ever retire from ministry. Okay? And so I'll probably be around, you know, doing things for the Lord. And I so appreciate, thank you so much. What a, what a fabulous gift. Um, this, this compass means so much to me. The ministry I founded in order, and did for 20 years was called Journey Ministries. On a journey with people and Jesus to the place that Jesus wants them to go. Jesus is my ultimate compass. He deserves all the glory. And there is a, a piece of needlework that my wife did years ago for me that hangs on my wall that says it's words, opening words of an old hymn. Go figure. But it's because he lives. Because Jesus lives, I can face tomorrow. Because Jesus lives, all hope is here. Okay, and that's, that's been my journey. And I thank you for it. Somebody commented to me as I was about to stand, well, let's, let's do the text slide first real quick. And then I'll make that, yeah. Uh, if, if you're new with us this morning, and if you are, you probably stopped out at the welcome desk, and I thank you for doing that. But if not, here's our text number up there on the screen. And if you'll text the word NEW, that will uh, let us know that you visited today, allow us to be in contact with you, put you on our email and uh, other communications so that you know what's happening on at Avalon Church. Hope you'll do that. You're going to find at the end of the message, I'll probably remind you that if you text PASTOR, uh, Pastor Don will get that message directly and we'll be in touch with you. And if you want to participate uh, in the financial work or the financial support for the work being done at Avalon, you can text the word give. Okay, so I'm about to preach the sermon. And Brian Migliaza, good friend, says to me, golly, you know, it's like a guy preaching his own funeral. Thank you, Brian. You know? And, then I, and so with, with that mindset, I sat and I watched and said, boy, he was a really cool guy. We're really going to miss him. You know, where's the box? Where's the box? This morning, we're going to continue our study in the, the Sermon on the Mount, the Upside Down Life. We're in Matthew, the fifth chapter, starting in verse 17. I hope you'll Find that in your No Kidding Bible or your electronic Bible. It'll also be up on the screen for you. Uh, you can also go to UVersion, UVersion app uh, on your phone. Go to More, go to Events, go to Avalon Church, and you'll be able to follow along with us. Allow me to pray before we read God's Word. Father, I am so thankful to be here with these people that I love and that you love. And we want to just open our hearts and minds to us. Your spirit wants to teach us. There is something here today. Maybe it's already happened in the music, uh, in, the, in the greeting of one another, in the prayer. But Lord, if there's something in the word uh, and this, this message, then I would just ask that you would help us to be cooperative with you, available to you. Teach us. We want to see Jesus and we want to be like Jesus. And so we honor you, Jesus. Into your name we pray. Amen. Matthew 5, starting in verse 17. You are the, no, don't go there, 17. Last week was you are the salt of the earth. Never mind. 
don't misunderstand, Jesus saying, why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow, so much could be said. We could preach Sunday after Sunday after Sunday just on those verses alone. But I just want to take a brief look today. Jesus had reached a critical juncture in his message. He had already piqued the interest of the crowd with the, his beatitudes, an intriguing list of blessings. And as we looked at last week, this discussion about you are salt, you are light. And if that didn't unsettle them, he is about to rock their world. And he starts with the verses that we just read. And to better understand those words, we need to go back. We need to go way back. Genesis 3.15. There is a problem and there is a plan. And here's what the Lord God says to, whoop, we're missing one. This is what the Lord God said to, uh, to, Abraham, I mean, to, to uh, the devil, to the serpent. Uh, he said, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Right from the beginning, before the beginning, God had a plan. And he knew that man would fail. He was aware that that would happen, but he already had a plan. And at that moment of that discussion with Satan, the progression to the plan's completion began. And it was all recorded in the Jewish scripture, in the Hebrew scripture. God breathed words, inspired authoritative words that create a puzzle of God's design. A jigsaw puzzle. And there's no picture on the box. God just starts. First, we lay out a framework. Ah. God talks to Abraham way back yonder in Genesis, and he selects this man, and he creates a framework for a unique people that will be the lineage of Jesus Christ. God promises Abraham in Genesis 15, he says, the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up at the sky, count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Thereafter, after the Hebrew people went into bondage in Egypt and Moses led them out, Moses adds the Ten Commandments. Actually, God gives them to Moses, and Moses adds them. God provides defined boundaries that make the people of Israel definitively his. Ten overarching principles that will make them like no other nation on earth. Moses continues as he completes the Torah, the Pentateuch, 
the first five books of what you hold as the Old Testament. God adds very detailed civil and religious laws which are superior in every way to the civil and religious laws of the surrounding nations. Israel is so totally unique. And the books of Exodus and Leviticus are full of God-given and incredibly intricate details. David and others share their insights and their interactions with the character of God in the Psalms. And there also are there some prophecies about the coming Messiah. And finally, later on their journey, the prophets arrive and they contribute instructions and warnings that are specific to the day of the people to whom they are writing, but also pointing to a, a future time when the plan of God would come to fulfillment and completion. So that was the law and the prophets to which Jesus referred in today's verses. The Jews understood the daily applications. They could kind of see the, the pieces and how they might sort of fit together. But there was still something distinctively missing. A Messiah. And they had a real firm idea of what that Messiah would be like. Interestingly, the, the, the Jews in Jesus' day used the expression the law in, in four different ways. They used it to mean the Ten Commandments. They used it to mean the first five books of the Hebrew Scripture, the Torah. They used the phrase the law and the prophets to mean the entirety of Hebrew Scripture, Torah, Psalms, prophets. And they used it to mean the oral or scribal law which was not directly from God, like Torah was. Here's what happened. Uh, as the nation of Israel progressed past its kings and then into the prophets and into their rebellion, and Don's told us before about their captivity with Assyria and Babylon, well, when they finally got to return, about the time of Ezra Nehemiah, they were very concerned that the reason we had to do 70 years in Babylon was because we did not follow God's law. Well, we're going to be hyper-vigilant about following God's law. And they, they held that if the law that had been given, the first five books, the Torah, was divine, and it was, and that in it they believed God had said everything he was going to say. That was the last word. So they argued, they thought to themselves, they said, you know, out of that law must be, we must have a possibility to deduce a rule and a regulation for every possible situation in life. It no longer became a principle, keep the Sabbath holy. All of a sudden it became a massive list. And so arose the scribes of scribes and Pharisees fame in Jesus' time, who made it their business to reduce the great principles of God's law to literally thousands of rules and regulations. Uh, for example, God's law prescribed that no work be done on the Sabbath. But <laughs> what's work? Well, carrying a burden is to work. But what's a burden? Well, scribal law defined a burden as food equal to a dried fig, enough wine for mixing in a goblet, 
milk enough for one to swallow, honey enough to put on a wound, paper enough to write a customs house notice, ink enough to write two letters of the alphabet, and read enough to make a pen, and oh my goodness. The list went on and on and on, and that was just about burden and, and work. Writing on the Sabbath is also work. Healing on the Sabbath was also work, and they defined it into minutia, into volumes. And you know what? The Pharisees of Jesus' days, they were the best keepers of the scribal law. They did that all. No reeds, no pens, no paper, no. And it was the scribal law that Jesus and Paul so strongly condemned. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 15, 3, he said to them, why do you by your traditions violate the direct commandments of God? God gave you everything you needed. Why are you creating this burden for people? Speaking of Pharisees, can you imagine the shock and dismay that those listening to Jesus on that mountain that day when he said, and your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees? Oh my goodness. They all understood what that meant. That didn't mean, just mean the Pharisees hadn't committed adultery or murdered. That, that meant that the Pharisees had never carried a dried fig on the Sabbath or mixed enough wine on the Sabbath or put honey enough for a wound on they would never have done all those things. And now Jesus is saying, you need to exceed their righteousness. Well, that's not exactly what Jesus meant, but boy, is that what it sounded like. And in that moment, you just got to know, they said, this, this kind of righteousness, I mean, what they're doing is hard enough. And you say, we got to exceed that? That is impossible. And Jesus said, that's the point. That's the point. So stay tuned, I'm going to tell you other ways to get into the kingdom of God. Okay, back to our puzzle. John the Baptist finally comes on the scene, and he proclaims that the last pieces of the puzzle are near, and they're about to be put into place. And Jesus arrives and begins his ministry. But he is so radical in his teaching especially in regards to the scribal law, which he really didn't appreciate at all, that he tells people gathered for that sermon in the verses that we read, I am not coming, I'm not going to destroy the law and the prophets. I'm not going to scatter the jigsaw puzzle into, in that case, 300 pieces. Okay? By the way, that, that puzzle happens to be out on the bookshelves in the office hallway along with a whole bunch of more free resources. Okay. The advertisement's over. He just says, I'm not going to scatter the puzzle, and I want you to know that I'm not simply the missing pieces. But I am, and always have been, the entire picture. John 5, 39, Jesus says to those Pharisees and those scribes, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. And he says, and that's why you've missed it. Because you are so determined what those pieces must look like, you can't see a whole picture. Post-crucifixion, post-resurrection, Luke records these words of Jesus to his disciples in Luke 24:44. He says, when I was with you before, I told you that everything about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
Peter, one of those who walked with Jesus and wrote the book of 1 Peter, records in 1 Peter 1, 10 to 12. This salvation that you and they were all experiencing was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this grace of salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time and situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their message was not for them, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached it in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly walking, watching to see how these things happen. And Paul famously in Romans 10, 4 says, for Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. Jesus had come to fulfill, complete, bring it all to a designated end. He was present throughout the entire Hebrew history. He was the bloodline that held the Hebrew scripture together. He alone perfectly kept the law and the ceremony. He alone fulfilled all the prophecies, which meant that as recorded in John 19, Jesus could say this. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished and to fulfill the scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch and held it to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. To those listening to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was saying in the verses we just read, until all of that is accomplished, all of the Hebrew scripture, down to crossing the T's and dotting the I's, will remain in effect. So don't be using me as an excuse for leading other people astray. Okay? While I'm still here, it's still there. But when all that was accomplished on the cross, all of the Hebrew scripture, down to crossing the T's and dotting the I's, would now testify to the grace of God displayed through Jesus Christ. The covenant with Moses had always been about, had always pointed to Jesus, and now it was complete and satisfied and obsolete. Obsolete does not mean bad. Obsolete means something new. Better has come along. Vinyl LPs were how I listened to music. Then they, they brought an 8-track. <laughs> what? In my car? And then a cassette that fit in my shirt pocket? A CD? No kidding, man. I can stack a million of those in my CD case. Spotify and Pandora? <laughs> Who knew? Vinyl? We're back to vinyl. Isn't that great? I had to go out and buy a turntable. I gave one perfectly good away years ago. Vinyl resurrected. Uh, why did I make that progression? Because those things were, they had satisfied, they had done, but they were obsolete. And you know what? Every time we share communion together, we affirm this. Listen, 
to Jesus in Luke 22. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed by my blood, which is poured out for sacrifice for you. Hmm. Let's go to Hebrews. Hebrews, the eighth chapter. The writer of Hebrews is talking about this very thing. And he says, but now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God, based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with his people, he said, and now he starts to quote from Jeremiah, the 31st chapter. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. I'll write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbor, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness. And I will never remember their sins again. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. The reality of this new covenant caused quite a stir in the first century. When Paul, who had been the most awesome of Pharisee scribal keeping people, uh, met Jesus and came to faith and started on his missionary journeys, he worked mostly with the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the Jews in this room. And they were accepting the gospel and placing faith in Jesus Christ like crazy. But the hardcore Jewish Christians from Judea started to tell these Gentile converts that they also needed to follow the Jewish law to be saved. And this was the basis for the Jerusalem Council that's recorded in Acts 15. You have to go look at that. It's great. But they confronted this question about, do Gentiles need to comply with the law to be saved? And Peter and James and the other apostles and elders agreed with the Holy Spirit that the Jewish law was not to be imposed on Gentile believers. Paul continued to fight the first covenant, new covenant battle in many of his letters, especially Romans and Galatians. Galatians 3, 24 to 25. Let me, Paul says, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian, our babysitter, our nanny, until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. Galatians 5, he gets a little stronger. So Christ has truly set us free. Now, make sure that you, you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law... 
you have been cut off from Christ, you have fallen away from God's grace. Whew, that is strong talking. So, why is the Old Testament in my Bible? In the fourth century, after Jesus, in the fourth century, church leaders, church fathers, okay, but church leaders bound the scripture together, the Hebrew scripture with the gospels and the letters to the churches for the very first time, 400 AD, and they gave it the collective name, the Bible, the book. Well, why did the church fathers put this part in here? Because they wondered, how can it be that the Jews could miss Jesus in their own scripture? And so they went looking, and they found Jesus everywhere in the Hebrew scripture. And as such, they said, well, the scriptures, this is a treasure trove of narrative and poetry and prophecy. We should mine this. This is valuable to the church. Unfortunately, as soon as you bind them together, the old covenant becomes, coming back on the scene, as authoritative and binding. And the, the church fathers never would have said that. They would have said, this is not binding, but boy, is it enlightening. So should I just rip those 39 books out of my Bible? Somebody please strong gum, gum out. No. But let's see them and use them for what they are. Jesus treated Hebrew scripture as authoritative. Paul insisted they were God-breathed. Peter believed the Jewish writers were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But that was not the basis of their faith. The authors of the New Testament considered the Old Covenant, the Hebrew scripture, they considered it scripture because it came from God. But it was no longer binding. It was the Old Covenant. It was God's covenant with ancient Israel, which was God's covenant with ancient Israel. And Jesus says there is a new covenant. The Hebrew scripture, though, has incredible value. It, it's the whole backstory for our Christian faith. It's the context through which the introduction of the Savior to the world came. It reveals a loving, ethical, faithful character of God. It contains great wisdom and principles for life, and it is full of inspiring stories of faith, many of which are quoted and referenced in Hebrews 11. But it's not the source of mix and match theology, old and new theology. John records Jesus. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. Okay, back to the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, 17 to 20, our core verses for today, Jesus lays a foundation for what he will say in the following verses, which is what we'll be looking at for at least the next three Sundays. He says, I am the fulfillment, the complete picture of the Hebrew scripture. The puzzle has always been a picture of me. All the Hebrew scriptures are about me. And thus, I am uniquely qualified to say to you, starting next week, you have heard it said, quote, Ten Commandment, but I say to you. Wow. And when we get there next week, 
If you think when Jesus said, except your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, stirred that crowd, it's going to take us to our knees. Because Jesus is going to talk about motivations, not just behaviors. And we, like that crowd, will probably go, my attempts are inadequate. My efforts at righteousness are so useless. What shall I do? And just like Peter on the day of Pentecost, repent. Place your faith in Jesus. I hope today's message will motivate you to prayerfully consider the Bible that you hold in your hand and how God wants you to view it. And should you have any questions, I hope you'll feel free to email Pastor Don. That's Don at avalonchurch.org. I would gladly do it, but you know, I retired. Let's wrap up with this. I want to end today by quickly considering all the new things. This is when the band should start wandering this direction. I want you to consider all the new things Jesus offers us. Jesus offers us a new covenant, a new contract with God that's all about him. Jesus offers us a new teaching which we're going to continue next Sunday and in the Sundays ahead, and we're going to end at the end of the Sermon on the Mount when people said, never have we heard anyone teach with such authority. We get a new beginning. We can become new creation through Christ Jesus. We get a new family, a new family, the church of Jesus Christ, the gathering. Ah, it's our new family. We're adopted as sons and daughters together. We get new life. You were dead in your sins and been made alive in Christ Jesus. We get a new attitude. We can actually have the attitude of Christ within us. We get a new self. We get a new and living way to the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we get a new commandment. John 13, 34. So now I'm giving you a new commandment along with the new everything I just told you about. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Andy Stanley says the question should always be, what does love require of me? You know, one commandment is so much easier to remember than 10 or 600, but so much more challenging to live out. Text slide, please. If this is something that you would like to talk further about, text pastor, the word pastor. If this is something you're going, wait a minute, it's all about Jesus? There's new, 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 new in Jesus? I didn't know that. Well, how about texting pastor? the word pastor, we'd love an opportunity to get to talk to you about that. All right, in just a moment after I pray, we're going to turn to hymn number 779 in your Bible. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, you, you had it all right from the very beginning. You knew there would be a problem, but you also had a plan 
that plan came to complete fruition in your son, Jesus Christ. And now we all have the invitation to become children of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Let's all stand to our feet. Pastor Jim. Church family, I invite you to take that instruction and take it with you. Don't leave it in the sanctuary. Don't leave it in these four walls. Remember that our mission field starts when we walk out those doors. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are a wonderful God. Thank you so much for your mercy. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for the cross. May each and every single moment that we gaze upon it be a reminder that we are a broken people in need of a perfect Savior. Church family, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. God bless you as everyone is uh, leaving. If you have those letters that you were asked to, to bring with you today, um, Lisa is going to be in the back with the basket. If you all could just give those to her, that would be greatly appreciated. God bless you all. See you next week. Some glad morning when this life is over. I'll fly away. Oh, my God, celestial show.